The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. John E. Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money, managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you create better financial habits, envision your long-term goals, and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of John E. Sistina and Company are on deck to show you the way. Thank you for joining the Managing to Be Wealthy podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Bennett. Joining me today are certified financial planners, Spencer Hager and Cole Hammock. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Awesome. Not as good as you, Tracy. Why is that? Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, just another day. Whatever, Tracy. Just was, another day. I'm excited for you. I thought it was cool. So it's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You sit and ponder the the big six zero. It's hard to imagine. What? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What, whatever. You know, that's, not, that's not true. Anyway, some uh, some good information. It's great to see you guys. We're going to be doing a great show today, and it's it's almost that time alongside birthdays and holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting into some great tips to helping people with their taxes. This is always a fun conversation we have with our clients. And although we're not accountants, uh, we're going to get into some overarching strate- uh, tips and strategies to do things better. So today's topic is family-focused tax topics. Say that five times fast. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, we're not accountants. I said that earlier. So rather than getting into numbers, let's not get into numbers. Let's just talk about the strategies. I know, Spencer, you're giving me the skunk eye. No, here. please keep going. But there is so, an important number that we might come back to. <laughs> there is? <laughs> yeah, it's. We'll, we'll get to it. Okay. Let's keep going. All right. I don't want to kill your flow yet. So, you know, it's a dumb question, but we kind of ask this in the office. When would somebody want to pay more taxes? That's my first question. Is that is that a thing? Well, if it means you made more money, I'd love to pay more taxes. Is that the question? That's the magic answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Sign me right. up. <laughs> so maximizing, maximizing tax deductions for homeowners, um, I want to start there. So uh, tax deductions and home ownership, you know, can kind of be a bummer if you don't have the 411 from the get-go. Um, you know, when you're front buying your first house, you have no clue. You're just kind of going it if your if your hot water tank goes out, your roof goes out, whatever. Sure. Um, so let's let's get into some some kind of goodies there as a homeowner. What kind of deductions I might have? I'll start with you, Cole. Yeah. Uh, so there's two primary ones really. So the first one being your property taxes. But one of the issues uh, with that property tax deduction piece, and this has been in place since 2018, is there's a, a pretty firm limit on how much you can actually deduct. I won't say a number yet, Tracy, so I don't upset you, but uh, <laughs> there, there is a limit on what's deductible on the property tax side. And then the other is the mortgage interest paid. So as you're making those mortgage payments, you're able to track what you actually paid on the interest side, and that becomes deductible on your taxes as well. Did you want to add anything? Uh, no, I would just say with the homeowners more and more, with the current tax code, most people, you're not really getting much of, of a tax benefit for having a mortgage or anything like that, to be honest with you. So because uh, if you're a married filing joint couple in 2024 and 2023, actually, it's 27,700. That's the number. 
Exactly. Where's the gong? Point being, like, you should know that you should track your mortgage interest. They'll send you a tax statement for it. And you could get a tax benefit, but most people are just taking the standard deduction. So it doesn't really matter if you have a mortgage or if you're just renting. Your standard deduction is probably the same. And there's more that goes into it. The other thing I'd say, too, more and more like sol- solar panels and things like that are becoming really popular. That's Great not point. a deduction, but you can get a credit for it. If you're actually seriously looking at getting solar panels, I don't think there's any way you don't find that out because most of the contracting companies will put that in. That's so, part of their sale. Right, it's, oh, it's going to cost 40000 but after you factor in the tax mm-hmm. credit, it's this. But that's something else you can look for. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. You should definitely check with the state as well, because usually what they'll quote's on the federal side. Yeah. And sometimes they'll include state information, but a lot of that info is outdated that I've seen. So they might be quoting 2016, 17, 18. Yeah. Uh, state tax law, and a lot of those have changed. So definitely make sure you're doing your own research on what's applicable for your state. Too. When you're talking about the state, where, who, is there a website or something we can give people to go to to ask those questions? Or uh, I don't think there's one. It's Everything's probably state-based. I mean, just look for your .gov exactly. with regard regards to your uh, solar panels or solar credits. Gotcha. There are a lot of, you know, there's a there's an influx of younger people buying homes right now, buying condos um, in the last six months to a year. So these are all really good tips for people, the novice. And I can remember when we when we bought our first place, you have no idea. You have no idea what sure. to do. It's you're, you literally are excited about buying a house. You can't even imagine that there might be goodies on the tax side for for doing such a thing. So how can the deductions impact somebody's finances if you're a first-time home buyer? I, I mean, essentially, it just gives you a little bit back when you file your taxes, potentially. Uh, to Spencer's point, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely well over 50% of people right now are claiming the standard deduction just because it's so high. It's a very simple way to go about filing your taxes. So it might ultimately not trickle to any benefits for you just on your year-to-year, but Still worth tracking exactly to Spencer's point. Some people can. And then you just get maybe a reduced tax liability or potential tax refund uh, when filing taxes. I, well, I'll get into the math because I feel like you have to. to Thank make, you. Uh, Careful now. I think you have to close the loop <laughs> on this. So, again, to itemize your deductions, you get the three categories. You get state and local income taxes. You're, ta- you're capped at $10,000 per year. Okay, you get mortgage interest. So let's just say you have $5,000 in mortgage interest. For most people, the last category is charitable giving. So unless you add up ten thousand dollars, assuming you hit the cap, mortgage interest of five grand, and then charitable giving of at that point in twenty three, you'd have to be giving thirteen thousand, right, to get over twenty seven seven. So that was what I was saying is unless you add all those up and you get past twenty seven seven, there is no tax benefit. But exactly know what goes into it because if you're especially if you're buying a house right now and the mortgage interest is probably going to be really high, you may mm-hmm. be closer to hitting that threshold than others. But I don't want people to think, oh, I go buy a house. It's a guaranteed tax benefit. And then, you know, for all you know, four years from now, tax code changes and there's a benefit again. Right. And I I think what's important to think about, too, is a lot of people think that they're spending money and saving taxes. Everyone loves the idea of saving taxes, but no one makes money doing that because you're still out dollar for dollar on the mortgage interest to get 22 percent or 24 percent, whatever, back on the interest piece if you do it all. Yeah. So don't don't necessarily go into it because you might save taxes. Mm-hmm. You yep. do it because you want the house, you're passionate about it, you want a garden, whatever it is. But that, that's why. Yeah. Great. Great tips. OK, so let's juke and go from homeownership to tax credits for education expenses. Uh, whether you're in school or you have a child in school, uh, there might be education tax credits for you. So let's talk about um, what that looks like. 
Spencer, I'll start with you. Ooh, yeah. Uh, don't quote me on this again, not accountants. I believe the American Opportunity Credit, that's for if you're going to college and I think you're capped at $2,500 total. So, I think that's right. Yeah. So you can, you know, so if you're, you know, going to college and the first, you know, few thousand dollars of expenses, you claim a $2,500 credit, credit as opposed to a deduction means if you run the numbers through based on your income, you owe five grand in taxes. If you get a $2,500 credit, now is the 20, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is the $2,500 credit um, in place, whether you have a child in private school, younger child, like elementary school, private school, Amer- or college? American Opportunities Only College. Period. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just the, the first year, uh, four years. Exactly. So it's for your bachelor's degree. Exactly. So if you're going to a really expensive college, you'll rate that up pretty quickly. And then the credit's gone. If you're going to community college, maybe it gets spread out over a couple of years. So it just depends. But that one's pretty much out. Yeah, $2,500. Even if you're using TurboTax or something like that, it'll prompt you on it and you claim it. It's good. And then the lifetime learning credit, that one I don't believe has a cap and it spreads out a little bit more. Um, but I think there's some more exceptions as to whether or not you can claim that one. Yeah. So th- that one, so it doesn't have to be the first four years of college. You yeah. can do it at any point beyond that, uh, just as long as they're education-related expenses. But it's 20% up to the first 10000 spent. how that one's breaking down. Yeah. So you spend ten grand, you get your $2,000 credit on the lifetime learning credit. And to your point, offsets any tax liability. So definitely beneficial. Uh, but the issue with both of those and something to be cognizant of is they're, they're income-based. Yeah. So if your income exceeds certain thresholds, the last time I recall is about $150,000 and you don't qualify for those credits. Yeah. So if you have somebody, if you have, if you have somebody who has a child in private school and they're paying tuition, or is there a tax it's credit K for that? 12, yeah, let's say, say K through 12 or high school or whatever. That's less of a tax credit game. That's where, depending on what state you're in, you can fund that now with 529 money. So yep. you open up a 529 plan, you get up to $10,000. When do you do that? Okay. So yeah. So in Ohio, you get a deduction up to, if you contribute up to $4,000 into a 529 account, you get to claim the full 4,000 as a state tax deduction. You don't get any benefit on the federal side. And then you can take that money to then pay for the private school. Right. So as opposed to just having money hit the bank account earn no mm-hmm. interest and it's out the door for tuition, you rip a little bit of a tax benefit. Uh, and just on that one, some states are very clear that you can't take the money out in the same year you put it in. I think Michigan might be one of those. Okay. Yeah, I was so double check with your, your CPA or double check any resources for the state or the 529 plan. Just Michigan we did, gets you. Michigan yeah. is not a good plan. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not, not go there. And, and for our viewers, we did do a show recently on 529, the merits of 529 plans. So please refer to that podcast for a little bit of a deeper dive to that conversation. But yeah. that's good information to yeah. have. Uh, so tax savvy retirement contributions. This is this is kind of a and and again, you know, we don't want to get too far into the weeds on this conversation, but just give people sort of an idea of some things that they need to research uh, as they're developing their financial plan. How can people actively manage retirement contributions for tax benefits? Yeah, I mean, is there an overarching answer to that question? Yeah, so there's a, a lot of options out there. And, and generally speaking, there is a, a hierarchy of which one you go to first versus which one you go to last. And it is based on the tax benefits. So uh, the first one, generally speaking, is does your employer offer a retirement plan? So whether that's a, a 401k, a simple IRA, whatever it may be, uh, generally speaking, you want to contribute at least up to the match. To that employer plan. So if they're matching 3%, you want to make sure you're putting in at least 3%. Otherwise, you're leaving money on the table. 
But then the benefit is, well, maybe you are saving taxes on those contributions or on the other side of it, Roth 401ks are becoming more popular. You might be putting in after-tax dollars, but those will come out tax-free in the future. You have to figure out what's right based on your situation, where your income is, whether you need the tax savings now or that would be more beneficial later. So that's the foundation but, is is whether you whether you need the, the tax savings at this uh, point. Uh, not, not, not exclusively, but that's kind of a good general baseline. Yeah, that's to your earlier point too. Like you, I think it's you can drive yourself crazy doing it, but it is a fair point to say. You know, if you think tax rates are going to go up in the future, that could be a reason to go for the Roth as well. Mm-hmm. Right? You you know that your tax rate now is twenty two percent, and you know if Congress doesn't pass any tax law change, and three years from now it's twenty five percent instead, you could make the argument that well, I'd rather just lock in the tax bill now, pay more taxes, knowing that. I'm going to need those deductions more later, even if my income's the same. Yeah. Or, or even still, you just get started working and you're in the 10% or 12% yeah. tax bracket. And we know if we keep working, we get promotions, we find new jobs, we find something more suited to our degree, whatever it may be. And you're in the 22, 24 plus. And yeah, you're in the, the cheapest tax situation you're ever going to be in. But the Roth's going to look like a home run for you. Yep. And again, that is a uh, a deep dive conversation that you have with your CPA. We're kind of giving you some some uh, bullet points for you to take with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we deal with this every day. But what what can we tell people as far as uh, balancing the desire to contribute more to retirement um, with the immediate need for income? Uh, I just always start with check the my. I'm, I don't really think this is subjective. I think you have to have a cash reserve in place before you can really focus on driving up your 401k contribution to 20%, right? So that needs to be in place. Ideally, cash reserve, meaning three to six months, ideally, of your expenses saved up in a cash account. You can tap if an emergency comes up, you lose your job, you name it, right? So ideally, you don't have any money on a credit card when you're trying to ramp up your 401k contributions, right? They're charging you 25% interest. That should be out of the picture. Mm-hmm. If you're checking all those marks where you don't have any one-off expenditures coming up that you know you're going to have to pay for, cash reserves in place, no high credit card debt, then you can play that game of, I've got more cash in the account than I know what to do with. What's the best use of it? 401k could be the move. But to your point, I see a lot of times, I should do a show on this, uh, on my health savings accounts, <laughs> People are just told put money into the health savings accounts because it's such a fantastic tool, and they don't really. We're going to get into HSAs, but they don't really know why they're doing it. So you can make the same argument for a four hundred one k, and then something comes up, and you did the right thing. You got a tax benefit. Now it's okay. Well, I can't touch this money without penalties or you know fees, and I don't have cash in the bank to cover a bill. Like that's a problem. That's right. when you overdid the mark. Right. Did you want to add anything? That's hard to add. Okay. Very well done. <laughs> All right, tax efficient investment strategies. Ooh, tax efficient investment strategies for everyday investors. Uh, we're going to break down some simple and effective investment strategies. So, are there any tax efficient investment strategies that people can incorporate into their portfolio without getting too too detailed? I'm going to take this one because I don't trust Spencer. <laughs> Please, yeah. no. Honestly, in a lot of cases, you really can just keep things simple. There are a lot of great mutual funds out there, index funds specifically, where uh, it's basically a, a mutual funds, a basket of stocks and bonds, and an index fund would be something like the S&P 500, so the largest 500 U.S.-based companies. So it compresses all of those together and an easily accessible and easy-to-invest-in pool for individuals. And the great thing about those is since they're passively managed, so they just make adjustments if those indexes or indices, whatever the, the English word is for it, 
makes adjustments, then generally there, there's very little turnover, very little changes, which means there's very little tax impact to the investor versus something that's more actively managed. There's a lot of turnover within the fund. Generally speaking, you're going to see a lot of capital gains issues or some tax surprises for you. Well said. I, I won't. I won't extend it any further. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's bounce back to the HSA accounts. Let's first tell everybody what an HSA is. Sure, I can take that one. Yeah, it's I'll allow a it. Health savings account. Right? It just means you have a qualified, uh, high deductible health insurance plan. All right. So let's talk about the tax advantages of these because this 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 really is something that was uncharted territory for me. Um, Never heard of it before I started working here. So I want to talk about it a little bit. Can you share any tips or experiences on utilizing an HSA, especially when you're faced with unexpected medical costs when it comes to tax planning? Uh, don't overdo it and know what you can spend it on, I guess, for are my main two. It depends on what stage you're at. Uh, like I said, I usually prefer people to max out things like the 401k. So first. let's give an example. Let's give a an every person example of what that looks like. Of what an that scenario is. Yeah. I mean, it's it, try and project out. I know you can't do it, do it perfectly, but in 24, you know, I don't have any planned surgeries, operations, kids aren't getting braces. So it should hopefully be minimal expenses, but I know something can always come up. Benefit of the health savings account is it's not a user lose it tool. So if you put two grand in, in 24 and you only spend 1,000, the 1,000 the 1, that's left over is still there in 25 and onward. To grow. Depends, right? So, but that was my point. So you put the money in, it has to be used for health expenses, ideally. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I say is if you think you're going to spend two grand, put in two grand and you should be able to adjust that throughout the so year. So you're starting at the beginning of the year, trying to anticipate without a pre-existing condition, what you might spend on your health care. And so. usually with that, you can adjust it throughout the year. Okay. So if people listen to this, flex spending accounts are different. You're usually locked in what you say you want to put in and it doesn't roll over to the next year. So there you have to be really careful. HSAs, you can usually manipulate you know, something came up, I can put more money in to get more of a tax write-off, use it that way. Are HSAs just through corporations or can somebody go to an entity, a business and, and obtain one? Uh, well, usually it's through your payroll. I mean, if you're a business owner, it's a different conversation. But if you're just a W-2 worker, usually they do it. There has been a few times where you're on a high deductible plan, but they don't do the HSA in-house. Then you have to go out Look at all the different providers and choose your own. Okay. Yeah. But so, back to the cosmetic thing. Sorry. A lot. I will say this too. Like I've had people say, well, can I use it for plastic surgery? That's not because of a medical need or you got in an accident. No, you can't. So don't don't drop 7,000 wow. to an okay. HSA because you want to do some plastic surgery just because that's what you want. Nothing against plastic surgery, but the there's a tax form for it. You have to report it on your uh, tax return. So that that can come back to bite you. They're very clear about qualified medical yeah. expenses on those distributions. And there's plenty of lists online, so you can go through, see what actually qualifies based on what you're trying to accomplish. But Online where? I mean, there's, uh, I don't know that there's uh, one specific resource, but I know one that I've used in the past is fsastore.com. Yeah. So FSA, the flex spending account, but what's eligible for an FSA is eligible for an HSA. So it's going to be the same list that's uh, available on that one. And it's just super user-friendly. I'm a big fan of that website. Um, but in any event, kind of looking at it from the other side, too. So you'd mentioned if someone's going into an HSA kind of expecting medical expenses, but generally fairly healthy. If you're going into a year or just year over year, you see that you're maximizing your out of pocket on your health insurance. So you're always hitting the max. There's almost no reason if you have a high deductible plan, 
some people still keep that high deductible plan. It might just be more cost effective through the employer. They're kicking in a pretty hefty sum to do that. And there's no reason not to maximize that HSA because you're paying for those expenses on a pre-tax basis. So it's a home run, right? You're saving your 22%, your 24% for something you know you're going to spend anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of great reasons to use the HSA. Uh, but Spencer, to your point, if there is carryover, you can invest it. Tracy asked that question. Does it grow? So it can sit in cash or it can be invested and you can keep it forever. Right? You don't have to use it. Yeah. That's a great retiree tool. It is. My, my clarifying point is I've seen it a million times where you're in your early 30s and it's, well, I'm only putting $8,000 per year into my 401k and I'm putting you know 7000 into my HSA. For sure. It's a little right? unbalanced. Then it's, okay, well, I have all this money left over my HSA. What should I do with it? Can you invest it? Yes. Should you only ever use it for health expenses in the future? Yes. And so you should probably, in that case, is when I say, if you're only spending two grand a year in out-of-pocket, saving seven grand maybe put that to the 401k first because it's not only uh, earmarked for health expenses. You can use it for anything in the future. All right. And that's actually could be a whole other show, whole different conversation oh, yeah. Yeah. about that. And we've done, we've done some, uh, some discussion work on health insurance. So uh, if you want to go into the library and check out some of those podcasts, you'll learn a lot about those conversations from those conversations. Uh, so for, th for those of you who are freelancers and side hustlers uh, and have a distinct tax consideration, let's talk about smart tax planning for these folks. Um, tax tax considerations uh, with individuals' side businesses. Uh, let's talk about like business expenses, deductions, management of self-employment taxes, all that good stuff. So if you have a side business, how do you first approach? If you've got an LLC, let's say you've got an LLC, how do you first approach your first year of business from work, tax consideration? Work with the CPA, period, end of sentence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's plenty of people that want to go out there, do it by themselves, which I get it. Who so wants Google to pay Google is not the first choice. I, it's not ideal, right? <laughs> it's going to give you some tips, but uh, you can also get in trouble pretty quickly. Um, so uh, too many people just want to go out, save the 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever, by not working with a CPA, but that's how you get in trouble. <laughs> it's very easy to get in trouble because the thing with taxes is everything's legal until you get caught, basically. So mm -hmm. people will just try to funnel all the personal stuff through their tax return and then they get audited. They have to pay it back. There's penalties, there's fees. It's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Right. So working with a CPA, someone that's going to go to bat with you from an audit perspective with the IRS, that's that's step number one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nothing to add. No. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's the best tip we can give people then, I guess, is to start with the expert, the professional. So. So, wait, Cole, you're saying if I never get caught, it was always legal. That's, uh, I mean, all right. I'm moving on. Say no. Slamming shop less. <laughs> I need a, it's like herding cats. Yeah. Okay. I'm scared. Uh, year end tax planning checklist. Let's uh, talk about do we even need that? I mean, what for the every person should I be starting in, you know, November, sitting down and doing something in particular? Let's, let's give some people something to do here. Um, yeah, it depends on the complexity. If you have a lot going on, high income. If it's variable due to commission, bonuses, things like that, you probably need to spot check it more than twice a year. I'd say for anyone, even if you're What's just- What's that mean? Spot checking. You know, spreadsheet, you know, manila folder. Okay, well, I'm assuming if you have a very complex situation, <laughs> like I was saying, then you probably definitely should have a CPA that you're working with, right. a tax professional. If you're somewhere you're just two W-2 workers and or one W-2 worker, you do it yourself using a DIY tool like TurboTax, uh, even then in a- 
in a perfect world, you should at least be looking at things when you file last year's tax returns in March, April, and then towards the end of the year, like October, November, December, bare minimum, just see, you know, you can run an IRS uh, tax calculator tool to see, are you on point with your withholdings? Are you going to have a big tax bill and you didn't realize you were under withholding throughout the year? December, you can still pull it off, but you may be a little bit late on any action you could take. So I'd say bare minimum two times a year. If you're a business owner, someone has a lot going on, probably quarterly. What about the every person? Well, that's what I was saying in the last. Yeah. Not not a business owner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was saying. All right, Cole, you want to add anything? Yeah, it's it's the spot checking. I think is the the great great recommendation there, just to basically figure out. Okay, well, have I withheld enough to meet next year's tax liabilities? So talk to your HR department. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I just need a pay stub, honestly. So you can look at last year's, figure out what your effective rate is, and a lot of those tax planning softwares that they show that they show what's your your top marginal tax bracket and what's your effective rate. Your effective rate is basically what you need to target as far as your uh, withholdings relative to your income. And as long as you're at or near that mark, you're probably in a good spot. We don't need to make any dramatic adjustments before year end, but where you're grossly under withholding, maybe there's a big surprise in income. And it's, it's definitely good to do that earlier so that you can make that um, adjustment well before that uh, the surprise comes in tax time. And we're big on gathering data in our business. So I would assume that people need to really have a, a realistic point of view and, and you know, come to terms with what they have coming in and going out just sure. in their financial planning aspect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, to your everyman point, I would just say <clears throat> mo- what most people need to get through their head is just if you file your taxes and you receive a $6,000 tax refund in the current environment where you can put that in a bank account that earns 4 to 5% interest that's when you should probably take some action unless you just love refunds. Mm-hmm. So I think for every person it comes down to just withholdings and owing versus a refund. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. And uh, otherwise, just thinking year end, I mean, have you done your 529 plan contributions? Yep. If that makes sense to do for mm-hmm. any children or even yourselves, if you're going back to school mm-hmm. or have we made our IRA contributions or HSA contributions? And you have till April, but sometimes people like to close the books on the current year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't make sense to increase 401k contributions to close things out. So there's a lot of calendar-based stuff for sure mm-hmm. uh, outside of just withholdings that make sure you want to close the books on. Great. Too late. Mm-hmm. Great. I mean, the bottom line is these are the professionals that we work with every day, uh, the specialists, the CPAs, the account, the tax accountants. So the, the, the moral of the story is, you know, work with a professional to really do a deep dive on your own uh, baseline to make sure that you're doing things the right way so that you don't end up in trouble, you know, with the with the with the government. Uh, this is what we do every day. Uh, we love talking about these subjects. Uh, we're very happy to sit down with you and look at what you've got going, um, put all your toys on the table and go through them to make sure things are in a good place. If you'd like a complimentary consultation, give us a call. We're happy to sit down with you and have one of our CFPs uh, talk to you about your questions and concerns. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you'll keep listening and following us uh, for more financial planning topics. We are managing to be wealthy. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Managing to be Wealthy podcast. We help you make the most of your money without any hidden fees or commissions. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself and your financial future. Keep listening for more expert advice and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to schedule a one-hour complimentary consultation to discuss your financial concerns, visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com.